0: Welcome to Third Fridays, the monthly legal talk show from Lois LLC featuring attorney Christian Cesar. This is the original forum in which real attorneys discuss workers' compensation issues, share their opinions, and engage in colorful conversations. This show showcases diverse perspectives of attorneys handling workers' comp cases, including case law trends, practical litigation strategies, and hot topics. Here's your host, Christian Cesar. Hi everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Third Friday's Podcast. We are in February, so uh, winter is still kicking strong up here in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and uh, the Northeast. But, uh, you know, we feel good about it. I think that uh, maybe I'm just uh, buoyed by these uh, really fancy microphones and condensers and uh, the fact that uh, it's almost like a pseudo-kill room, say for this window. Um Got really good feedback from everybody uh, from last month. Uh, my thanks to, to Tim Kane coming on the program to talk about professional employment organizations and uh, the risks inherent in leased and non-leased employees. A big win at uh, the third department of the appellate division. That episode, What Can Brown Do For You? Uh, is still available. We're also now available on YouTube. So every episode, uh, we have uh, about uh, 80 or so now Uh, can be uh, captured on YouTube. Uh, You might see our faces on those videos very soon uh, as we build up our equipment and uh, process here. But let's get down to to business here in February. We have uh, a decision from the board panel in October of last year. And as we wrapped up 2023, to me, it did not seem that, that important to really talk about immediately. We had a few other things that we want to discuss over the last few months on the podcast, but I didn't want to forget it. Uh, So it's uh, something that will assuredly affect all employers and carriers uh, when they want to litigate compensation rates. So I thought of no better guest than to bring on, uh, but Jeremy Janis, given that a lot of our strategy with this particular issue was born by a decision that he secured for one of our clients, uh, way back when I want to say this was 2017, 2018, uh, you know, definitely before COVID, uh, where you secured this decision. Um, so let's talk about it. Sure. Um, welcome to, welcome back to the show, Jeremy, right? Thank you. Uh, we have a, uh, a regulation, right? And what, what regulation is at issue? Can you explain it
1: to our listeners uh, exactly what is at play here? So 300.23 regulates when we can reduce or suspend benefits. And pursuant to 300.23, uh, when there's a continuing payment being issued, we have to file an RFA2 with the board in order to reduce payments. Right. And so
0: you you'd have
1: a current judicial
0: order. So the employer or carrier would not be able to engage in self-help, right? They'd be requesting permission from the board to reduce or suspend a compensation payment on a weekly basis to the claimant. And uh, the regulation states that uh, the hearing would be scheduled in 20 days, right? Correct. And if, for whatever reason, the board could not schedule the hearing in 20 days, then the judge would determine if the employer or carrier's request to reduce or suspend payments was justified. And if so, then that reduction or suspension should fall retroactive
1: to the 20-day mark post-RFA two. Right? Correct. That was at least our interpretation of the statute up until now. Right, you get like giving away a little bit. It's you know, it's, it's a good point, right? Because sometimes we
0: go have these podcasts because of like a victory lap that, that we gain. And this one's not going to be just so that everybody at home uh, knows. But I think it's very interesting to really go through the analysis that the administrative review division took in this case. And this is matter of transportation region 10. Uh, it's a board panel decision that was issued in October of 20, October 24th of last year, 2023. So essentially, let's explain the meat of that regulation, right? What are some ways or what are some reasons that an employer's request to reduce compensation benefits is justified? Like what are some reasons
1: that we would typically use to to say that the compensation rate's too high? The main two are us obtaining an IME, which is, the most likely scenario, or the claimant's treating provider for providing an opinion of a partial disability.
0: Yeah, that would, I would agree. i think like the, you, you just have a difference of opinion in terms of how disabled the person is. So it's not going to be a discussion over whether the accident's compensable, right? Uh, it's a situation where everybody has now agreed that the claimant is entitled to some benefit, right? And that's a very important point to remember as we go through the analysis of this, this decision because there's a lot of discussion by the board about prejudice, about humanitarianism, uh, certain things that are uh, you know, rightful and just uh, to, to the parties. So think, think about a case where you have an IME, the IME says, you know what, even though this treating doctor just keeps writing 100% on every single report every week. An IME actually performs an objective examination and says, wait a minute, you drove here. You don't have any assistive devices. You got on and off the examination table. You have great range of motion in all your limbs, right? You don't walk with an altered gait. You know what? You're 25% disabled. You're 50% disabled. That affects the rate. And let's talk about the timeline, right? So let's say an IME occurs today. When are we getting that report? Usually about 15 days later. Yeah. I mean, they serve it within 10 business days, but we don't get our hands on it until maybe after that period. And then, you know, as dutiful litigation uh, practitioners, we inform our clients about it. Who want to because we want to make sure they're on board with a potential action plan. Because let's not, uh, you know, forget about the employers that also look at their employees and say, you know what, he, he's actually going to come back to work next week. We don't need to restart litigation, right? So we don't immediately request a reduction in suspension. We want to get our clients on board with that. And then we have to certify the RFA too by discussing with, with our adversary. And based on all of those, I guess those timelines or those days, from date of exam at the IME, where we have we have an ability to reduce payments, how long is it before you typically see your clients authorizing, you know, go to the races with this litigation plan?
1: 20 days later, 25
0: days later? Right. About
1: 20 or 25
0: days, right? I think that's fair. So. We then request the hearing and how long would you say it takes the board to schedule hearing? Maybe the better question is, have you ever seen a case where we filed an RFA two to reduce payments because of an IME and the board gave you a hearing within 20 days?
1: Rarely, if ever, it's a unicorn
0: essentially. Yeah, Yeah. like if you did it, it was just like, oh wow, like what happened here, Yeah, right? And, uh. This, you know, we—I I, want to almost tell a story about this because, you know, when we started this 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 great firm in 2015, I noticed this regulation, uh, and I thought to myself, well, I could read it to say that if you don't give me a hearing in 20 days, I had this creative thought that you are authorizing self help. You are authorizing a unilateral reduction from the employer. Or insurance company to reduce payments because you didn't give me a hearing in 20 days and when i was uh, talking to uh, a lot of people at the firm about it i said this is a very very aggressive like thought that if a client wanted to take but you would need some other reason why you needed to do this right because if you let's say you got a hearing in 40 days right the difference in the payments that you would make would that be worth another litigation action being taken not all the time you need the right case and funny is we mentioned that you had the right case right so why don't you tell our listeners about your case specifically that led us to really drive this home in all of
1: our cases what was the background or some facts about your case. So I believe it was a 2018 case in August of 2018, we had a claimant that was continuing to receive benefits of the temporary total disability for a good period of time. We get an IME in August of 2018. We file an RFA2 by the middle of September, early September. The board neglects to list it for a hearing despite us following up regularly until March or April of next year. Wow. So. March or April of the following year from when
0: the IME is available in August, that's looking like, uh, you know, like a seven to eight month delay in which the employer carrier or end carrier is prejudiced by having to pay at a higher rate under this auspice of, I need your permission, compensation board, to do the right thing, right? Uh, And
1: what happened at that hearing that caused us to appeal? So the judge, without even granting us the right to uh, cross-examine, put the other doctor, directed awards up until the date of the hearing at the temporary TTD t- rate. Yeah, so it's you. the reason why it's a perfect case is you had a an actual reason to
0: appeal irrespective of this 20-day regulation, Correct. right? Correct. There was a denial of a request to cross-examine a doctor, right? And that's obviously articulated in 300.10c and uh, case law uh, subsequent to that for obvious reasons. If a doctor files a report, uh, we are entitled to cross-examine that doctor. And so you have a situation where the client says, well, we want to cross-examine that doctor and we're also prejudiced by eight months of awards at a higher rate. That's a lot of money. Uh, So... To put, put that in perspective, right, your statutory maximum rate for accidents currently is over $1,100. And imagine if you have an IME that says no disability and the board doesn't schedule your hearing for eight months. It's $1,100 a week that you shouldn't be paying for eight months. In,
1: in addition to that, it was a, a scheduled loss of use site. So the in the interim, uh, protracted healing period was running. Great point,
0: yeah. right? Like, so if they don't reduce it, not only are they uh, not uh, helping us from a temporary disability perspective in reducing the rate, if they're earmarked at temporary total disability, then the judge is saying to the carrier, this injury resulted in the claimant being unable to work in any capacity for eight months. And that's categorically untrue, right? That's the whole reason we're there. We're actually saying he couldn't, uh, he had a disability to work, or a, a an, an ability to work as of August of 2018. And now through March 19th, without taking a trial, you're just saying he didn't have any ability to work. So the protracted healing period that you're mentioning becomes on this bonus award at permanency that gets gives to the claimant, or, or is awards to the claimant, because of the board's malfeasance in scheduling a hearing, or in scheduling a hearing untimely. So we appeal, and what what did, that, what did that board panel decision say when you appealed your case,
1: Jeremy? So we cited this case matter of Titus, which is discussed in this new board panel decision, uh, which essentially stands for the proposition that the carrier shouldn't be prejudiced by the board's inability to schedule a hearing within 20 days as provided in the regulation.
0: Yeah, and so this was a huge win for our client because it modified the award to go back to 20 days after we had requested the hearing. And that makes sense, right? That makes perfect sense. Everybody is on notice for what's going to happen. The only reason that the award wasn't reduced timely was because the compensation board did not schedule a hearing. That's the only reason. So fast forward to October of 2023 and this decision of matter of transportation region 10. And we have... A situation where the carrier is making the same application. The carrier is saying, I had a hearing. I requested a reduction. And not only that, you know what? I'm going to compromise the ongoing rate. Now, that's not something we would recommend uh, in most cases. But this carrier decided to compromise the rate and potentially give up their labor market attachment defense. But they also said the compromise rate should be retroactive to the 20 days post-RFA2. The judge denies it. The carrier appeals. And they say, in their appeal, consistent with Regulation 300.23 and board precedent, and in order to avoid undue prejudice to the carrier, the reduction in the benefit rate should have been dated back to September 26, 2022, 20 days after the filing of its first form RFA2. The carrier also requests that the decision be modified to permit the carrier to recoup the overpayment incurred by having to pay the claimant at the temporary total disability rate past September 26, 22. So they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing at this point. All the regulation and case law after the fact says you're allowed to do this. The board doesn't schedule a hearing and then the judge doesn't implement the regulation correctly. But this board panel goes off into a different stratosphere. How do they reason
1: their result here? How do they come to their uh, decision in this case, Jeremy? They rely on the humanitarian purpose of the Workers' Compensation Board. So they really had no reason other than trying to protect themselves, essentially.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's always funny when you're starting off uh, your uh, reasoning by citing cases in 1916. 1928 to, to disavow something that you started in 2013 the board disavows Titus Associates Inc a 2013 board panel decisions and all other similar prior board panel decisions and then their cases say the compensation law which uh, I don't know if it's a crucial distinction but it is a distinction the compensation law is not a regulation right? So they're using the compensation law and says, the compensation law was enacted for socioeconomic remediation purposes as a means of protecting workers and their dependents from want in case of injury. Now, key concept that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. In this case, and the cases that we're talking about, no one's disputing compensability. We are actually paying the claimant at a higher rate than he or she is entitled to receive. So that Case from 1916 does not apply. We have not withheld protection from workers and their dependents from want. We are actually giving them more than what they're entitled to. Okay. The second case they they uh, cite was from 1928. The statute was enacted for humanitarian purposes, framed in the words of Chief Judge Cardozo, to ensure that injured employees might be saved from becoming one of the derelicts of society, a fragment of human wreckage. Okay, I, I paused just for a minute just just to make sure that our listeners weren't laughing um, because when I first read that I you know, I just had a little chuckle myself and um, to make it very clear, there are accidents in our industry that are very, very serious. That does not mean that our clients, uh, employers and carriers in the great state of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut do not compensate their employees properly. To use this language saying that we're going to start off and disavow 10, 11 years of decisions because we want to save the workers from becoming one of the derelicts of society, a fragment of human wreckage. It's a little bit insulting to me and our clients. I think that we're, again, we're talking about a case where we've agreed to compensate the claimant and now we're paying them at a rate that they don't deserve to have pending litigation. How does that make them a derelict of society? How does that make them a fragment of human wreckage? You know, those types of cases, we're talking about employers who had no application of the workers compensation law in the early 1900s it was assumption of the risk that when you went to your employer and you died on the job that was just that was just okay that's that's just your risk in going to a dangerous job we don't have those situations anymore there are laws and statutes in place and you know to your point Jeremy you mentioned that this is where you don't have real authority right because you're just trying to Use public policy. Uh, do you think that they could have
1: found an actual legal basis to disavow these decisions? I mean, I think they could have interpreted the statute differently and just say, we don't interpret it in that way, and here's why, but they didn't do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, because they go on to, to then cite a regulation that says, you know, in 300.8. All notices of hearings upon any calendar shall specifically state the purpose of the hearing and any evidence to be produced by the parties and that such notice shall be mailed not less than eight days before the date of the hearing to all parties. What does that have to do with anything we're talking about? That regulation says that when you schedule a hearing, the notice of a hearing goes out at least eight days before that. I I don't understand what what application that regulation has to the issue we're talking about. And not only that, you're citing a regulation where you're saying, if I want to give you a hearing date, I'm going to give you a notice at least eight days uh, prior. So if you're going to give yourself a shorter timeline to issue a notice, why are you then disavowing 10, 11 years of decisions that have just modified a prior award and allowed an employer carrier to seek an o- uh, overpayment credit. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy to me, right? So they say, then I'm gonna say, time limitations imposed on administrative agencies by their own regulations are not mandatory. Absent a showing of substantial prejudice, a petitioner is not entitled to relief for an agency's noncompliance. While the board strives to schedule hearings quickly, this goal is constrained by a multitude of factors, including the number of claimants the board serves and the number of law judges available to handle hearings.
1: That part I do agree with, right? There's a lot of litigation. I agree with that. They go on after that to talk about how uh, it doesn't comport with humanitarian purposes. Uh, Further, a finding that a hearing must be scheduled within 20 days when the carrier wishes to suspend or reduce benefits does not comport with the humanitarian purposes of the workers compensation law but they don't really explain why. Yeah. And, and, and then they're saying in this case, right? It's like,
0: okay, yes, I agree. There's a number of law judges and there's a number of claimants and there's a number of hearings. There's only a certain amount of time slots, right? Uh, you know, maybe what people don't know is that um, there are multiple hearings in multiple parts in multiple sections of a hearing point that are scheduled at the exact same time. Correct. Yes. The Exact same time. So uh, let's not play that card and also uh, realize that when the claimant files a request for a hearing, how quickly do they get a hearing?
1: They get it a lot faster than us. I would also note that another humanitarian purpose of the Workers' Compensation Board is to get the claimant back in the workforce and not have them lingering at home because the longer they stay at home, the less likely they're going to return to the workforce. That's a oh, that's an amazing point, Jeremy. Think about the fact that in your case,
0: the judge told the claimant you are temporarily totally disabled for 8 months even though the reports said no. You're sending a signal to this claimant that no matter what these doctors say about your ability to work, you can stay home. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to look for work, you don't have to go back to your employer. You actually are a derelict of society, a fragment of human wreckage. Just kidding. Not so. I'm just saying that the message that you're sending to the claimant is actually not in line with one of your purposes that you, you stated, which is exactly true. The whole point is to get them back to work safely, right? Correct. In a, in a manner of good health. And they're making the case here that in this case, the carrier was not substantially prejudiced. Why? Why was the carrier not substantially prejudiced? In good faith, they filed their request for a hearing to reduce payments. They applied the law correctly. They were denied at the the trial level because many judges just don't do this, right? They, They don't retroactively do it. And we are forced to go to the board panel. Now, what would solve this problem is if law judges applied the regulation correctly. I personally have not seen in my 10, 11 years of doing this, a law judge actually apply this regulation correctly where they retroactively reduce the payments 20 days post-RFA2. So if they did it, you'd actually have less appeals.
1: Right? I agree. I don't even think they know about the case law that was in place or the statute itself. Nevertheless,
0: as all parties benefit from prompt resolution of issues such as this, The board should make every effort to provide priority for the scheduling of hearings when the carrier seeks to reduce or suspend benefits. Oh, great. Thanks. They should make every effort. So you're gonna take away the safety net of when you don't make every effort. However, even if the regulation mandates that a hearing be held 20 days from the date of the RFA2, this is great too. It's like, even if we're wrong, right? Even if we're wrong or even if Titus and its progeny were correct, the plain language of the regulation does not support a finding. The benefits must be reduced or suspended as of 20 days when a hearing has not been held. Also, adherence to such a rigid rule be unfair and prejudicial to a claimant who did not cause the delay in scheduling a hearing. You've done this for 10 years, board. For 10 straight years, you've applied this regulation that way. How is it fair to this employer and carrier that you're going to do this? They don't have advance notice of your decision to disavow cases. No. How is that fair? How is that, how is that fair to the, the employer and carrier? And you're saying it's unfair and prejudicial to the claimant, but it's nothing that the employer or carrier did wrong. Right? It's the board who didn't schedule a hearing. And now you're saying, because we didn't schedule a hearing in time, we need you to pay the claimant more because it's unfair for you to pay the claimant less when the medicals say
1: so. That's a wild proposition. It is, and, and I think it's funny that they say that the twenty-day timeline is aspirational. Oh, right. Actually, use that word. Right, right, right. The twenty-day time period referenced in the regulation is an aspirational time frame, which is
0: not always feasible and is not a strict requirement for the board. <laughs> Why even have the regulation then? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's an aspirational guideline. It's you know, it's. What, 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 what are rules that you put out that you're allowed to follow and help be held accountable for versus ones that are just, you know what, that's just a guideline for us. That's just a, you know, I hope we get it right one day. Hmm. There's also no merit to the carrier's argument that is prejudicial to require the carrier to continue to pay the claimant at benefit benefit rate that is higher than that which would result from its medical evidence. Specifically, medical evidence of no disability or a lower disability only serves to join the issue of degree of disability. And a judge still must determine whether substantial reduction is justified. That's correct in its uh, theory, but not in its application. Because in this case specifically, in every case that I've been a part of, the judge goes, what's the pickup date? And I'm gonna continue the award as it was without making that tentative. The pickup date to the date of the hearing or the day after the hearing is always fixed if the prior award is fixed. Correct. So the board is not really in line with what their law judges are doing to apply it. So that sentence is correct, and I feel almost feel for the board because maybe the board panel decision members are trying to make it right in this in this case, but they they don't have an understanding of how the law judges are are applying it here. And for them to make that sentence in this case, when the judge did not allow that period to be litigated, makes the foundation of the decision
1: flatly incorrect,
0: unfortunately. That's that's my opinion.
1: And It also contradicts with case law that says when you have a conflicting medical report, the award should be reduced on a tentative basis pending litigation.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because if, you, if you're if you going to litigate the rate for an entire period, the board is saying you're not prejudiced because you can still litigate it and make an argument after the depositions and in your summations. That's not true if the judge rest- restricts the period to the CCP and ongoing, right? It's not true. So, you know, takeaways from this, uh, I know this is a tough one because this is a very adverse decision to our clients, Jeremy. What What kind of takeaways can you provide for our clients and our listeners
1: today? Uh, Number one, we need to be aggressive with following up with the board. Number one, we have no choice at this point. Yeah, that's a great one, right? When we get
0: that request in, if we don't have hearings uh, scheduled timely, then we need to be very aggressive, right? We might even consider reopening the case before the board panel saying, hey, like it's been a month, it's been two months. Why don't I have a hearing? Force the examiner. To face uh, the Administrative Review Division because maybe the reopener brief now cites Matter of Transportation Region 10 where you say, look, I'm trying to do right by this, but because Matter of Transportation Region 10, you won't allow me to retroactively reduce anyway. So you're now causing me prejudice by not scheduling a hearing. I would also think too, you know, this is the type of case where if we don't have uh, a situation where the board isn't the board is scheduling a hearing, you might have cases that are appealed more often. Because think about your case. I want to just bring it full circle sure. circle, right? Let's say the board panel in your case in 2018, 2019, used this logic to say no, the PHP is still active. You have to pay more than what you're entitled to. At some point, the exposure that the board's creating for the employers and the carriers will be so high because of this decision that you might have good cause to appeal to the appellate division. And that's man, correct. that's gonna be exciting. I I mean, it's it because it you you talk about when I thought about this issue in twenty fifteen and was looking for a client and a case that would it would make sense. To, to conduct unilateral suspension reduction yeah. because the board didn't follow its own regulation. Imagine if we get a case like yours where the PHP is through the roof because the board wouldn't let us litigate a certain issue or the judge wouldn't. We could go to the appellate division and say, look at this. Look at this decision, how incorrect it is. And you might now have a new case of worms, an open case of worms to really just like dive in. And the third department loves to interpret regulations. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that's concrete, right? Board board panel decisions are not uh, uh, mandatorily persuasive or binding precedent on an appellate division, Uh, uh, right? So it's like the third department. They're going to look at the statutes and the cases to actually
1: interpret it in a way that's fair for everybody. Uh, One other thing we can do is issue light duty offers based on our IMEs findings. There's case law out there that says, that we can, if we issue the offer and later litigate the issue and the claimant's found to have a partial disability, they could be found to have voluntarily removed themselves from the labor market. So we're essentially pending that issue for later. Yeah, that's also a great point. Like put all your issues at once, like just, uh, you know,
0: there's no piecemeal litigation anymore. That's a great point. Well, we got a lot to take away from, I, I actually think that this podcast or this conversation ended up being longer than we had expected because you know, when we go through the decision, we're p- picking apart all the different pieces. Uh, but that's what we do here, uh, you know, here at lowest Law, lowest Law Firm. So uh, for my partner, Jeremy Janis, my name is Christian Cisan, reminding you to defend from day one.